It's good to get to be with you this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name is Charlie Dunn, and I have the privilege, along with John, of getting to pastor this new neighborhood church in Lake Highlands. And for some strange reason, the greeting I've received most this morning is, what are you doing here? (laughs) You're not supposed to be here. Um, But I am not preaching this morning, but I am thrilled uh, to get to be here today to uh, introduce to you our guest preacher, who I know is not a guest to many of you. You know uh, Brian Dunnigan, who is the senior pastor at Highland Park Presbyterian Church, the church that um, has launched and is continuing to help launch this uh, new congregation in Lake Highlands. And in many ways, we're here today because uh, of the vision that God gave to Brian and to the elders at Highland Park Pres to want to begin these new uh, neighborhood churches in our city to help more people find and follow Jesus. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of things that Um, Brian does really well. He's a gifted um, pastor and leader and preacher, but one of the things that I love most about Brian is that he is somebody who has a genuine heart uh, for those who do not yet know Jesus, those who feel far from God, Um, and he longs for them uh, to experience the grace and life and forgiveness that are found in Jesus, and I've learned a great deal Uh, from Brian over the years, and I'm privileged to count him as a good friend, and I know that we will be blessed uh, by the message that Brian brings to us this morning. So can we give Brian a warm welcome this morning? Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Good to have you here. So thankful to be here. Well, it is, it's so good to be with all of you here at Grace Lake Highlands, and um, I have been sitting by the phone waiting for a call from Charlie Dunn to invite me to preach. It has been a long wait, uh, but he finally uh, was desperate enough. He just needed a Sunday off, and I'm so thankful. Um, I actually got to be here a few weeks ago with my family, and it was our first in-person experience of uh, Grace Lake Highlands. And uh, just to think back this week and in the weeks leading up to this, to those first conversations, Brandy and Charlie, that we had together, as you shared how God was, kind of sense that God was placing on your heart, what might it look like to put down roots and to gather a little community and to be on mission together in Lake Highlands and to seek together the, the, the good of the city and uh, so many things that have happened along the way um, where we just have this growing confidence that God is in this. And I certainly hope that all of you Uh, who are part of this community feel that way. Um, What is happening here is such a gift. This is a healthy, strong, rooted, multi-generational, vibrant, growing, resilient, from the very beginning, movement of the Holy Spirit. So John, Pablo, Charlie, leadership team, way to go. Way to go with what you're doing here. So thankful. Uh, Another thing that I selfishly love about this congregation is uh, this is where I grew up. Like, blocks from here. This is where I began my life. Uh, Merriman Park Elementary, White Rock, North, Day School. Uh, Are there any Panthers here from Merriman Park? Do we have a couple Panthers? Okay, we got a few. Thank you. And, you know, I was just thinking about how when I was growing up in Lake Highlands, these were some of my earliest years, uh, we were not a church family. Uh, We didn't go to church. We didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about faith or God. And uh, in those early years in particular, things got kind of messy in my family. 
Things like divorce and money problems and health problems and addiction problems. But if you were to drive down our street and past our house at the time, uh, you would not have known any of that about us. I mean, we looked like and acted like and played like every other family that was living here in, in, in Lake Highlands and who lived on Viewside Drive. Which is why what you are doing, what God is doing here, it matters so much to know that there is a community in the heart of this part of the city where anybody can show up, where you can invite a neighbor or that person down the street whose life may look perfect like everybody else in Lake Highlands. And that invitation to come and see what God is doing here at Grace Lake Highlands, that may be the moment that changes the trajectory of their life and their eternity. So bless you, Grace Church. Thank you for all you're doing to bring God's kingdom up there a little bit closer down here in Lake Highlands. All right, this summer, uh, you have been looking at the Psalms, this collection of the, the, really the songbook. This is the hymnal for God's people that goes back thousands of years, the songs that they sang to connect their hearts to God. And today we're going to look at Psalm 121. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, Psalm 121, we're just going to walk through this in a few moments. I have not preached in six weeks, so um, we're going to have that kids' volunteer meeting at about 1.30 as the service ends. <clears throat> uh, part of what we need to do and talk about today as we open up to Psalm 121 is that we have to name the worries and the fears that weigh us down in life. Life has a way of weighing us down. It's just the reality of a world, the world in which we live, where the gravitational pull of life is always downward. We see this in the laws of physics, but, but we also experience it, each of us, in our own bodies. I read about this recently, that in the morning, when you first wake up, when you first get out of bed, you're actually about a half inch taller than you are in the evening, through the course of a day, gravity is literally pushing you down, weighing you down, pulling you down. It compresses your spine, which means that right now, even as I'm talking, you're getting a little shorter. Right? We see this over the course of a lifetime. Things like osteoporosis, where the, the fibers within our bones and our skeletal structure slowly dry out over time, and we can get shorter. It's almost as if the weight of life can literally bring us down. Isn't this an uplifting sermon so far? <laughs> Don't you feel encouraged? And here's the thing. We know this is not just a physical, bodily reality. The challenges of life can beat us down. When we're not beating ourselves up over negative thinking, shame, regret, working through our past, we're getting torn down by others. We live in such a toxic critical, canceling, shade-throwing culture, so much bickering and attacking of other people. And then there's the impact of social media and the ripple effect of, what that play, of how that plays out for us. From this five-inch little screen that you carry with you everywhere you go, you now have the ability in 20 seconds or less to announce for the whole world to see your contempt for anyone or anything or any airline or restaurant or bad experience you've ever had. And just to give you a sense of how much this has made its way into the, the fabric of our society, the Oxford English Dictionary, this is the gold standard for the proper way of communicating the English language. The OED recently added the word hater 
to its official dictionary. And in case you don't know what a hater is, I think we might have this. Um, here's just kind of an example. Susan says, you know, Kevin from accounting is doing really well. He just bought a house in a very nice part of town. To which Jane says, well, if he's doing so well, why is he still driving that Dodge Stratus? Okay, that would be an example of hating on somebody. And it is so common that we had to come up with a new word to describe it. But even if people from the outside aren't tearing us down, something is probably weighing us down. And what happens is we end up looking down. Ever notice when somebody is in that place and you begin to pick up on it, and it's like they're burdened or overwhelmed or they're feeling down, and, and, and what happens is their gaze can begin to fix on a lower plane. It's like their, their, their eyes lower and their shoulders begin to shrink and they just, they walk around as if they're carrying this burden. It's despair, it's disappointment. You can see it in their body language, downcast. Someone lets you down. Maybe it's, it's the, the weight of mistakes that you've made or the guilt or the financial problems that you're in or a child who's gone off the rails. Is there something weighing you down. Often it's completely out of our control. I remember uh, a few months after Allie and I bought our first house, we absolutely loved that house. I mean, there's something about the nature of buying the first home that, that you ever lived in, and it was this small ranch house, and we had just renovated it, and we'd put on a brand new roof. I mean, there's nothing like coming home to your first home. Um, except for this one night, we were coming back from dinner, and we pulled into the driveway, and there was a giant pine tree that had fallen on our, you know, brand new, recently renovated house, and through our brand new roof, and it was wet everywhere, and the rain had come in, and I went from about six foot one to like five foot ten, just like that. <laughs> Even the images that we've seen this summer of flooding in Kentucky and uh, wildfires that are just ravaging places all over the country and just the unimaginable weight that people are shouldering. And I think it's with this sense of the weight of life, the gravity of all the burdens of life that God wants to speak to us through Psalm 121. So if you have a Bible, we're just going to walk through this together. Now before I get to verse 1, in Psalm 121, if you have that open in front of you, you'll notice there's a little heading above the first verse, that says a song of ascents. Ever seen that before? A song of ascents. There are 15 of these uh, in the Psalms, uh, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. So just a little bit of a background. In the ancient world, God's people would converge on and gather in the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, three times every year for these incredible festivals of worship. And those of you who've been to the Holy Land before and you've been to Jerusalem, you know that it's located up in the hills. It's at a higher elevation than most of the surrounding area. And so this journey to the Holy City was always an uphill ascent. And tradition had it that God's people would sing these 15 songs of ascent, like Psalm 121, as they traveled up to the hills of Jerusalem for the festivals of worship. There's actually one other piece of background that there was a temple in the heart of Jerusalem, and this was the heart of the worship life. And, <clears throat> and they had built, um, eventually they decided to build a little stairway that was for the priests and the way that the priests would enter into the temple. And there were 15 steps to this stairway. 
And so they would step on the first step, and the priests would all stop, and they would recite Psalm 120, the first song of ascent. And then they would take the next step, and they would sing Psalm 121, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and so on, as they made their way through the 15 Psalms of ascent. As they walked up this stairway. In fact, Charlie tells me that's why he moved Grace Lake Highlands from the old location to this one. Because this location is 15 steps higher in elevation than the last one. And he loves the songs of ascent. I'm making that up. I have no idea how much higher this location is in elevation, but it sounded kind of cool. So listen to these words from this song of ascent, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over Israel will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So let's just begin with verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. First time I ever remember reading this psalm, I had just graduated from high school, and I was on this wilderness backpacking trip uh, in Colorado, and the place that we landed was in the middle of the Collegiate Range outside of Buena Vista. Do we have any BV fans here? We got a couple? Okay, great. Beautiful place. So we're surrounded by all of these 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado. It's the first time I had ever done anything like this. We were carrying backpacks, camping out in the mountains. And part of this trip, about halfway through, um, they let us, <clears throat> they actually sort of forced us to go off for one day to spend an entire day in the wilderness all alone. A day of solitude in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness, and the only things we were allowed to take with us were water, a Bible, and a whistle, right? The whistle was in case of a bear attack, because, and you're like, well, thank you very much for giving me a whistle in case a <laughs> bear comes running at me. That's going to be great. Now, if you've ever taken one of those personality tests, one of the things they often sort of gauge you on is this spectrum of introversion to extroversion. Well, I'm on like the extreme edge of the extrovert scale, okay? Being alone is not my jam. But they sent us off into the wilderness for an entire day just to be with God. Eventually, I found a place to sit down, and it was sort of this meadow of aspen trees, and I can still picture the spot so I sat down, I think I fell asleep for a while, but then I opened up my Bible. It was a new Bible that somebody had given me. I was a fairly new Christian. I opened it up to Psalm 121. I have no idea how I stumbled into this psalm, but I started reading it, and I read it over and over again, sitting there alone with God, surrounded by these mountains. So for me, and for a lot of people, I think, the mountains, they're, they're a beautiful thing. They're, they speak of the majesty of God's authorship of creation. Yes, we know that God is with us everywhere, but there are some places where it just feels a little bit thinner, right? That distance between heaven and earth and the mountains are certainly that for me. Which, you know, living in Dallas, like my brother-in-law from Bozeman comes into town and I'm like, hey, let's go, you know, ride our bikes up to the hilltop on SMU. And he's like, where's the hill? Like, I don't get it. 
Right? If you live in Dallas, when you get to the mountains, I mean, you feel a little bit closer to God. I mean, we just got back from Colorado on Thursday, and it's like every time I drive back through Amarillo, I can feel myself getting shorter. <laughs> but here's the thing. I used to think that's what Psalm 121 was about. Looking up, seeing the mountains, God is great, God is powerful, God is beautiful, and it's just amazing, the majesty of his creation. That's what I thought it was about. But in the ancient world, mountains were not such a positive thing. Remember, this is a song of ascent. And when you're traveling by foot and you're ascending, mountains tend to get in the way. Mountains can be dangerous. Bad things happen in the mountains. Wild animals, unexpected storms, thieves, and kidnappers who would often prey on travelers who were journeying through the mountains. In other words, the original context of Psalm 121 is there are times when I lift my eyes and what I see is not the greatness and the grandeur of God and his creation. What I see is danger. I see threats and circumstances that cause fear, and I get worried about all the bad things that could happen. I lift my eyes, and I begin to think about the things that I'm afraid of, and the people that I love who are getting hurt and getting sick, or the stock market, or recession, or inflation, and now we got to worry about monkeypox when we lift our eyes. I mean, I worry about all kinds of things. I worry about the church. I worry about Grace Lake Highlands, and Peak Street Church, and Good Shepherd Oak Cliff. I worry about the budget. I worry about my family and my marriage and my parents and I worry about my kids. Lord have mercy, do I worry about my kids. I lift up my eyes and I see all these things that have the potential to overwhelm and undo me. And so the psalmist throws out this question, where does my help come from? That's a great question for you and me. It's a defining reality kind of question. Where does our help come from? What gives us confidence, grounding, protection, anchoring in life? Is it my circumstances? Is it another person? Is it a relationship? Is it a government or a political party? Maybe it's our health or maybe it's a bank account or a job. A lot of that's being tested right now. Where does your help come from? Does it come from a list of achievements or a reputation? Does it come in the form of a bottle, something that promises to take away the worry only to make it worse? I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? The psalmist answers that question. My help comes from the Lord, Yahweh. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. Again, that we read through that and it almost like it doesn't sound like a really big deal, right? You slip and you get back up, you dust yourself off, you're all good. But imagine, again, you're on the ascent. You're hiking up the mountain. You're carrying all your belongings. You do not want your foot to slip. A good friend of ours uh, named Fred Nadavi, some of you may know Fred. Um, he and Charlie Dunn were uh, roommates for a number of years. They lived in one of the church houses back at HP Prez. It was known as the frat house. That's another story for another sermon when I get invited back uh, 19 more months from now. But uh, Fred was working at the church for a long time, and now he went to start and launch, and he leads this nonprofit in Kenya where they help children um, to get an incredible education, and it just changes the, the future of their lives. And right now, he and some of these students are summiting Mount Kenya. 
And we have a picture of Mount Kenya. Okay, the peak of Mount Kenya is 17,000 feet high. Most of these kids have never climbed a mountain in their life. And so they've had to train and they've been doing it for a long time. They've had to acclimate and take increasingly higher elevation trips. And, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, if you roll an ankle at any point on that ascent, you're not going to summit. In fact, it, you could be in real big trouble if you're at some of the highest places and elevations and you slip. He will not let your foot slip. That's a strong promise if you're a Sherpa. Now, just to be clear, what this does not mean, he will not let you slip, and I think this sometimes gets mixed up in the world of, of Christian living. This does not mean that God will never let you fall into bad circumstances, whether it's health or financial, whatever it is. He will not let your foot slip has more to do with the path of obedience than the path of a problem-free life. It's what David in the 23rd Psalm talks about, this path of righteousness, the right path. Having your foot slip is a picture of disobedience, of sin. In other words, God will never lead you down a road to sin. It's a promise to God's people, to you and to me, that sin will not get the best of you. If you belong to God, sin will not win out on your life. Verse 4. He who watches over you will not slumber or sleep. God never sleeps. You ever thought about that? I don't know what it's like for you, but the nighttime, even to an extent last night, um, this is when I tend to be the most anxious and the most afraid. And what's overwhelming when I'm awake, you put me in a dark room at about 2 o'clock in the morning and left to my own destructive, spiraling, catastrophizing, self-condemning thoughts, it can get real ugly. I can run through a list of worries. I'll take smaller, petty anxieties and problems, and I will turn them into full-on catastrophic DEFCON 5 disasters. It is amazing how creative I can get with fear at 3 o'clock in the morning. So just a word to those of us who carry our burdens to bed. You will sleep best when you know that God doesn't sleep at all. He is with you through the night. And then verse 5, the Lord watches over you. He's watching over you every moment of your life, even when you are cashed out asleep. Sometimes at night, uh, we have uh, little kids, three little kids, and sometimes I'll go up the stairs, and they've been asleep for a couple hours, and I'm going to bed, and I'll just, I'll check on each one of them, and I'll walk into their rooms, and I just, I just want to see how they're doing, and, and it's so funny how three of our kids, they all sleep so differently. I call your Jane, she's still in the, you know, bottom sticking up in the air phase. I have no idea why toddlers sleep that way like it totally doesn't look comfortable and then I'll go into uh, Wheeler's room and he's just out cold like blanket and sheets and pillows are all on the ground and he's perpendicular with the way that you're supposed to be on the bed and he does not want to be bothered like if I try to snuggle or rub his back he's gonna grunt or kick or just like don't bother me dad I'm out then I walk into Annie's room and I can I mean I can just kind of cozy up and I can sit on the side of the bed and the moment I do it's like She's asleep, but she knows I'm there, and her eyes will just open up a little bit, and she gives me this sweet smile, and I'll just lay there, and I'm just dialed in, locked in on her, and she's kind of looking at me even though she's halfway asleep, and nothing fills the heart of a father more than that moment. I mean, she could ask me for anything in that moment, and I would give it to her, anything in the world except a cat. 
The psalmist says our Heavenly Father is watching. Every moment of my life, God sees, God knows. And that's good news, especially for those who suffer and those who are afraid and who are alone. God watches over you. He's your shade. Verse 5. The sun will not harm you by day. Now, most of us, when we think about sun, we think about vacation. We think about summer at the beach. We're thinking 30A. But in the ancient world, again, for a people traveling through the desert, up the hills to Jerusalem, the sun can be a deadly thing. It is not your friend. And God says to this nomadic desert people, I'll be your shade. I'll watch over you. The sun won't harm you. Verse 7, the Lord will guard you from all harm. He will guard over your life. Now, the word there in like the original Hebrew language, it's, it's, it's the, wor- the word for guard is the word shamar. The one who watches over you, he is your guard. Eight times the writer of this psalm uses this in Psalm 121. Listen to Eugene Peterson's translation and how he picks this up. God is your guardian. He guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. Again, what it doesn't say is that the Lord will guard you so that you can avoid every bad circumstance that could ever come your way. It is not the promise of a problem-free life. When we lift our eyes to God, the circumstances don't suddenly change. But here's what we find when we lift our gaze, when we lift our vision. What we find is that circumstances don't determine the outcome. Circumstances don't determine the outcome. The maker of heaven and earth does. It's a shift in focus from looking down at our problems, obsessing over circumstances and things that will fill us with fear, to looking up and beholding the greatness of the one who made you and who made heaven and earth and who will always be with you as your guard through eternity. He is watching over you. He's your keeper, your protector, and he knows what you need even more than you do. And the tougher things get, the closer he'll be. This God who guarded over Abraham... As he went to a land he did not know, and he saw, he looked out and he saw the armies of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all the other ites that stood in his way, and he could have turned back and he could have run home, but he lifted his eyes to the one who promised to keep his feet from slipping. God was with and guarding over Moses when all he could see were, were his failures and his inadequacies and the biggest army in the world breathing down his back, and God said, lift up your eyes, Moses, and see what I see. Gideon and all of Israel, they were surrounded by the Midianites who had unleashed violence and injustice in their land. But God said to Gideon, why are you afraid? Lift up your eyes. You are a mighty warrior, and I go before you to lead the way. God was guarding over Mary when all she could see were the haters and the shamers and the mockers. Look at that unwed, teenage, pregnant girl. What a disgrace. What a shame. But she lifted up her eyes and said, the mighty one, he has done great things for me. The apostle Paul said, throw me in prison, beat me, put shackles on my feet, but I won't stop singing because I have a guard who's watching over me. Then there's Stephen. Anybody remember Stephen? bloodthirsty mob was hurling stones at him, beating him to within an inch of death. And in that moment, we're told in Acts chapter 7, in that very moment, as Stephen was breathing his last, he looked up into heaven. Now, if you remembered or if you grew up 
reciting the Apostles' Creed, there's this moment when we say together that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's seated. He sitteth next to the Father. But in this moment, when dying Stephen looks up into heaven, Acts chapter 7, we're told he saw Jesus standing The Son of God who knows what it's like to suffer. It's like Jesus gets up out of his heavenly throne and he stands up as if to say to Stephen, I am am with you and I am so proud. Well done, you faithful Stephen. And your trials are almost over and you're about to be with me forever. Stephen knew my help comes from the Lord. Because there's one other mountain that you can lift your eyes to. And on that mountain, there's a cross. And one day, Jesus, he made the ascent. And they forced him to carry the beams of that cross. And even then, his feet did not slip or fail. And then they nailed him, the maker of heaven and earth, to that cross. And because of his death, we have life. We have peace. We have unshakable hope. There is nothing to fear. No enemy too great. No circumstance that can undo what he has already done. The risen Jesus will guard your life and your coming and your going both now and forevermore. So, Jesus, we thank you. That even as we are surrounded by so many circumstances and things and threats that remind us that you are not, that make us think that you are not in control, God, we trust stubbornly that you are. Help us to lift our eyes and to continue to shift our perspective back to you. And God, even as we come now to this table where you draw near to us, would you help us to see that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from your love, which we receive now in bread and wine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Brian.